Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, my man, Bob Huggins. And I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. Now, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat, at Big Meach 41, and soon to be on TikTok. That's right. Now, this is the special edition of the podcast, my interview series with a very special guest. Bearcat fans, I'm excited to welcome in this Bearcat legend. And when I say Bearcat legend, I mean Bearcat legend. We did a part one, and I promised him that I would like to have him come on and do a part two. And I think it's important not only to tell the players' basketball story, but also talk about not only what they're doing in life, but what they're doing beyond basketball. So I'd like to welcome back to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast my friend and UC Bearcat Hall of Famer, Roger McClendon. What's up, Rog? Hey, Meach. Thanks, man, for having me on. I really appreciate it. You know, uh, we go we go way, way, way back. <laughs> <laughs> we sure do, man. We do. And you know what I, I didn't do on the first podcast, and I started doing this with a lot of uh, the players that I bring on. I asked them why they chose their number. Mm-hmm. Why did you pick number 21? Man, that's an awesome question. Um, I actually – had a number that I had in mind that I wore in high school and uh it was number 12 uh and if you kind of do your your history you know 12 was taken <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think I think, it was, hard hard. I think it was the big O that wore number 12 so there ain't no way I was gonna get that number but but what so not only did I want to flip those two numbers around there was also a favorite player that I really loved growing up when I was younger by the name of Roberto Clemente. Um, And if people remember, you know, his legacy, you know, great baseball player, played for the Pirates, um, you know, Latino background and, you know, actually lost his life doing a mission to, you know, bring aid and relief and food um, to to one of the countries in in the Dominican area, you know, and, and that was my hero, you know, and mm. so I, so that 21 really resonated with me when I thought about, I can't have number 12, what should I do? And, and 21 came to mind. For sure. And, uh, and that's my father's favorite baseball player of all time. He talks about him all the time. So um, now I, I, I got to talk about this and I, I thought about you and I, I told you before I wanted to do a part two. And what better timing to do this part two interview than right now because the University of Cincinnati is they're they're doing this thing where they're they're replaying a lot of uh some of the older games, football, basketball. And it's a really cool experience for I think not only the, the, the fans of, of back in the day, but I think also the new fans that are not as familiar with the 80s with basketball and even the early 90s. So it's really good for them to to see it. I, I think at one point, Raj, I, I don't think you saw this, but Corey Blunt, who is a Bearcat great, had never 
seen footage of you playing until you see replayed that game. And, you know, stuff like that I think is so cool for for fans, you know, former players to, to watch that. So I want to I want to ask you, did, did you see reach out to you as far as that? Or did you just kind of just find out somebody said, hey, you see replaying the game? Yeah, you know, it was it's funny. They it, it was like that. It was uh, hey, this kind of popped up in Twitter, and um, I, I thought it was really great, and you know, really uh, grateful to the athletic department and Coach Brendan, and you know, them kind of selecting that game um, to kind of replay and relive, and then highlighting me. Obviously, um, it's an honor, um, and 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 you know with the new coach in, in position and we've had some conversations because I do, and we'll talk about this later, have been helping out with uh, Spire basketball Academy. And there's a, there's a player that there's some interest there um, that, that, you know, some, some big schools are looking at this potential yeah. of this player. And so it was great that, um, you know, I can st- still be involved with basketball and that they were able to, you know, pull that, you know, watch party off and, and have that game highlighted. And obviously we beat this, the, the the national champions that eventual <laughs> national champions yeah. Louisville Cardinals so yeah great. now did you watch with your family or I, I did and, and you know the way it came about is you know it, it popped up and my wife saw it and then all of a sudden she was inviting everybody and I was like I you know I was kind of like I like to stay low key <laughs> if anybody knows me and you know me yeah, you I'm yep. not I'm not on the front I don't have to be in you know on the stage in the front you know you yeah. happen to do that because of leadership responsibilities you need to lead from the front many times but mm-hmm. i choose to kind of you know be in the background when i don't have to lead from the front um, yep. as my part part of my personality but yes he sent it out to everybody you know and it got out there and eventually you know even <laughs> romel shorter who who i'll talk a little bit about you know we, we send it out to link to him and it was great to see you know a part of his career and, and what he meant to the program um even though he doesn't get a lot of mention uh, how tough a ball player he was coming out of the south side of Chicago and what he meant to the team. And I think that's a that's great. I'm glad you brought him up because he started that game. And yeah. it is so that that particular game was was so cool to watch him him playing because he's by far the smallest guy on the court. Um, you know, you're a McDonald's All-American. You know, you're actually the Bearcat team was pretty big at that point with mm-hmm. Myron Hughes and Helm and you guys had a pretty big squad, and then you look at Louisville. You know, Louisville's got pros, and so to see, mm-hmm. <laughs> see Romel, and if you don't know Romel, you're like, who's this little kid out there? Right. You know, um, but that was really cool to, to to see him start that game and play. And I think he played pretty well prior to that game. Is that right? That yeah, he was coming, starting. Uh, yeah, he was. Uh, I think leading the Metro in assists at that time, and just a natural point guard. You know, that could yeah. shoot the ball too, that could score, but look to pass first. Um, and, you know, he was a spark plug, so we were getting some momentum with him, and obviously, you know, we, we had to make the change with him getting into foul trouble and, and, you know, the size difference with the bigger guards, but no, he had given us a, a huge spark coming up into that game, which was which was fantastic. And I need to, I, I really do, and I think we talked about this before, I need to interview him for the podcast, Absolutely. I think, and, and if you could, when we get finished, text me his number so I can reach out to him. I thought I had it before, but I don't have it. So if you could text that to me, um, I do want to reach out to him. Um, Will so, do. 
Um, now, let, let's talk a little bit more about, about that particular game. Um, that was January of 1986 at Freedom Hall, one of my favorite places to ever play basketball. I loved Freedom Hall. Uh, they're number 18 in the country, and like you said, they're, they're eventual uh, national champions. I think they, they beat Duke that year, right? They did. Yeah. It, it, it's just a little-known fact. They, they um, ran they, – they were – Johnny Dawkins was the was the tough off guard, and Tommy Amaker was the point guard of that mm-hmm. of that national championship team. And Louisville was down after the first half, if if you go back and look at that game. But the reason I remember that so well is, you know, Duke Duke was on my list when I was looking at schools, and, and Johnny was a scorer. And what they did, they went to a box and one. You know, they definitely shifted. You know, the defense to kind of shut him down in the second half, and I think it made a big difference. Do you think that was a result of, you know, when they played you guys? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was, I think it was related. I think uh, Denny Crum wow. kind of remembered. Well, I kind of had a – I'll tell you another quick story. So I'm in Louisville now, you know, work with Young Brands and PepsiCo, and, you know, I get an invite to this um, this business venture, and it ends up being at, at Denny Crum's house is where they're kicking it off. Hmm. So I, I walk in and, you know, introduce myself, and he's smiling. He said, I know, I know who you are. <laughs> so we go down to his basement. We go down to his basement, and he's showing me, you know, the championship rings. He said, Rod, you know, you could have had one of these rings, you know, in 1986 because they, <laughs> they recruited me hard. But he's yeah. a great guy. He's always yeah, he been, you know, he coached under John Wooden. And, um, yeah, definitely they ran – they remember – because he told me, you know, yeah, we, we definitely ran – a scheme to get the ball out of Johnny's hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Um, I think it was I was a couple years ago. I was in Louisville, and you were you were there, and Denny was there, and I can't remember who else was was with us. But you introduced me to Denny Crum, and we actually mm-hmm. all of us kind of sat down and, and talked. I think you know what it was. It was when the Bearcats came to. They played um, in Louisville, um, mm-hmm. and I believe they played Bellarmine. Remember mm-hmm. that? Yes, I do remember that. We that were was, at yep, we Freedom were Hall. That. I think we were at Freedom Hall. It was like we the were. last last game at Freedom Hall. And uh, Denny, yeah, Denny, I always admired him, you know, being a student of John Wooden just based on his style of play and, you know, his social presence, you know, understanding the importance of the player outside of just basketball court. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Wade Houston and that whole coaching staff, I really admired them a lot. Yep. Oh, and you also introduced me to Dr. Duncan Stein. <laughs> you remember him? <laughs> you remember him? Yeah, and he's an icon. Nicknames. He's definitely an icon here in the, in the city. And I watched, you know, when they won it in 80, um, you know, I was I was in front of the TV screen watching, you know, him catch a, catch a ball, a half-court pass. And I don't think I've ever seen this yet. Like a half-court alley-oop, he catches it and floats and dunks it backwards. And how wow. do you do that? You know, we got to look, you know, yeah. we'll have to look that up. But if you, if you go back, he'll catch the ball and he does a backwards dunk. That's in, in, impressive. And the last thing I'll say about Dr. Duncan Stein, Daryl Griffith, is that when, when I was being recruited in high school, they sent me their media guy. That's the University of Louisville. And on the mm-hmm. front cover was a guy by the name of, of Rod um, Foster. And he was a, a super quick guard from UCLA. You have to go back to your history about 6'2" fast mm-hmm. as lightning, and he's fully spread out with his arms and his hands to the side, flat-footed in front of Daryl Griffith, and Griffith is shooting a jump shot, and literally his shoes 
are at Rod Foster's eye level. <laughs> and, and and when I looked at that guy and that brochure, me guys like they just trick photography because that cannot be real. <laughs> right, right. But when we watched him play, it is definitely real because he had like the forty-eight inch vertical or the fifty-inch vertical for the match. So. Yeah, he could he could fly. I remember when when you introduced me to those guys, Denny and and Daryl, and, and I, we took a picture together. And I remember mm-hmm. posting it. A lot mm-hmm. of people were like, "Oh man, he could fly." I've never, mm-hmm. I still have never seen anybody jump like him. So I'm sure he's still a, a big time fan favorite and legend in Louisville. Yeah, he does a lot of community service, and you okay. know he's got a derby event that he does and gives back okay. to the West Side and the school, and so those are all you know, like I said, leaders uh, beyond the basketball court, just leaders in life, and and definitely want to help others, and they've, they've been able to do that here in the city. And and how ironic that you know if you think about UC and Louisville, it's just been a rivalry that's that's been going on for a long time. They've renewed it. Coach Brandon and Coach Mack are going to play again. Uh, I believe they got a home and home series going, so mm-hmm. that's that's good to see. But I, I just find it so ironic that you know you you torched Louisville, you know, and and that was such a rivalry, and now you live there and you are such a big part of that community. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was real quiet about where I was from when I first started at Young, you know, and, and no no, it, it kind of came out subtly, you know. And, and then all of a sudden they were like, "Is that the same? Is that the same guy?" And so you know, it, it, it kind of grew out of control because I would literally have a line out the door. You know, if if, if Louisville was ever to beat Cincinnati, because remember we went on that run back in the Hugs days, and mm-hmm. you know we we kind of started to dominate that that rivalry, yep. and so. Not many people would show up at my door anymore, you know. <laughs> yep, <laughs> nowhere to be found. But, but, yeah, so I've honored the red and black, and my daughter, you know, played, you know, uh, volleyball with uh, Patrick Ewing's daughter, you know, when she was a freshman, and, you know, with the AAC at the time, and, you know, had a had a stellar career there. And so I've, I've become a, a Louisville fan, but I still honor the red and black with, you know, the Bearcats, you know, but I do support Louisville here as well. No, for sure. Now, I do want to ask you this. So, going into that game versus Louisville um, in 1986, you guys going into that game were 4-9, okay? Not a great record, mm-hmm. but you had a big win versus Virginia Tech prior to that was number 16 in the country. Um, and then, I mean, if you really look at it, after the, the, the Louisville game, I'm not even sure what your guys' record was, but you guys didn't have a great record. But that was such a great win. How, how does that make you feel that, you know, you guys beat the national champions, and really it was you. It was you, Roz. And I know you're low-key. You don't take a lot of credit. But you dropped 35 points that game against the number 18 eventual national champions at their place, you guys were four and nine. You deserve a lot of that credit. I mean, how did that feel rewatching that? You know, rewatching it, I saw I saw a lot of sophomore mistakes out there. You know, it was kind of I was kind of cringing every time I got the ball, saying, you know, I know we won this thing, but is this going to be, you know, a bad shot or a turnover or what's going to happen here? So, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it was, um, you know. It was a rhythmic, kind of instinctual type of game. And, you know, if you think about leadership, we had a senior leader in Myron Hughes who had a lot of experience. Yeah. And he started out the game hot, you know. And, he had like the um, first 
12 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had, you know, I, I didn't take a shot for a long, long time. And I think, you know, being a shooter and being a scorer coming out of high school, um, the team relying on me and now being a sophomore, um, you know, that was how I could contribute to the team. Um, mm-hmm. But it had to be in the flow of, and the rhythm. And, and I just got into a zone. Um, and the guys, you know, fed it, fed it to me. And then I noticed that toward the end of the game that Myron closed out the game. You know, guys, they were starting to double team and kind of triple and people were coming out. And I, yep. I instinctively hit, hit the open man because they, they were wide open and, and it paid off. Um, and so it was, a good, it was a good flow of the game. It, when you start, now, you and I text back and forth during, during that game, um, and you, you talked about the flaws that you saw. Mm-hmm. What flaws did you see? Well, you know, I, I I didn't really respect anybody coming to the league. I remember blocking, you know, playing the first time against Del Curry, um, you know, Steph Curry's mm-hmm. dad, but people know him now as they know me as Deja or Maya's dad, you know. <laughs> right, so, right. So, so he, he, the first time he took a jump shot in front of me, I blocked his shot. Now, he got mm-hmm. the rebound and put it back in, and the same thing with uh, – with Milt Wagner, these are all Americans, and then went on and played pro and, you know, be unbelievable pros. Um, and so I, I just played my hardest and my best. But what I saw was just, you know, sometimes falling asleep on defense, you know, turning my head mm-hmm. maybe the wrong way, um, you know, box out here or there, you know, turnover, um, you know. And, and those things, you know, as a player and wanting to be the best you can be, you always mostly see the mistakes versus the, the good things that you do. Uh, and I think we talked about that, right? And people remember mm-hmm. – the games, the championships they lost versus the championships they won. If you talk to all the greats, that's kind of how they see it. Um, And so that's hard to get out of that mindset, but that's that's what I saw in the game was, man, I I could have been much better than what I was, you know, I thought I was anyway. (laughs) Yeah, no question. And and during the game um, in in Louisville that year, they were, they were full, they were picking you up there. They were just the whole season. They really pressured a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. And at one point during the game, um, they were pressuring you, and you threw a bounce pass. I think you were trying to throw it to Romel. You turned it over. Mm-hmm. And then I think Louisville, you know, came down, and uh, Tony Yates jumped up, and he kind of walked over to you. The camera panned away. I'm not even sure what he said to you. Was And obviously he said something in regards to the turnover that just occurred. Mm-hmm. But what I want to ask you, not necessarily what, Tony Yates said at that moment, but Tony Yates has, has passed away, and I think he was such, such an important figure for UC basketball. Um, what was it like to play for Coach Yates? And just give some thoughts on him since he's passed away. Yeah, and my heart still goes out to their family and, you know, all everything that he's meant to the game and not only the game but to the players. And so his legacy was beyond the court. Um, was about, you know, creating leaders and, and people that were accountable. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that whole time I was there, um, just his leadership was so big. You know, it was, it, was, it was what you were doing in the classroom. You know, what you're going to do after basketball was over. And are you preparing yourself? Are you, 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 you sacrificing what you need to do to get to where you want to go? And he lived that way. I mean, he was a great example of that. And so sure. I think Ed 
Coach Jucker was the announcer, and, you know, he, he went flashback at the halftime, and they talked about those 61 and 62 national championship teams. Mm-hmm. And you know who the leader on the floor was, you know, and who they oh, respected. Yeah, and so he never yep. lost he never lost that um, type of, of leadership. But then when they talked about him, he was always the one, you know, shaking people's hands and, you know, asking how you were doing, and they, he knew people's names. Uh, and so he was this just great, big-hearted person that cared. Um, but don't make no mistake about it, he was a competitor. He, yeah. Whatever it took to win, however hard you had to play, you know, he was never going to back down, and he he coached that way, and he expected his players to play that way. And I, and I love hearing that because I think there's a dynamic um, that was going on not only at that point but still goes on today. I mean, you look at Tony Yates, who was a black head coach of a major Division One program at that time. There were not a lot of those guys. And not only that, Roger, but the majority of the team – um, that he recruited were not only black athletes, but some of which were coming from areas. You look at Romel. I mean, I, I think there were – how many guys on your team were from Illinois, including there, yourself? <laughs> quite a bit. I mean, yeah. uh, Illinois was – and he came from Illinois, so, you know, he had a fast track to a lot of those guys. But to hear you say that, that I think his mission beyond being a basketball coach and trying to win games, but taking – his players, um, and, and particularly black athletes, and helping them, you know, beyond basketball, realize that there's there's a bigger picture. There's there's things we need to overcome. I, mean, I thought that was so important at that time, and still important today. No, he was one of the, you know, obviously for Cincinnati, probably one of the first to kind of take on that that role as an African American, um, and and he he backed it up. I mean, not not necessarily as as you know, the win loss column as a coach, but as a, as a man, you know, running to really help, you know, players beyond the basketball court. I think he, he did a great job because, you know, the record prior to that, as far as graduation rates was not very good at Cincinnati. If you go back mm-hmm. and look at it and mm-hmm. um, he, he helped change that by focusing in on that and making sure that was relative importance uh, even before the NCAA rules kind of changed. Um, so, you know, no, he leaves a legacy far beyond the basketball court and the national championships just as a great human being. And that connection to, to Illinois, he was the assistant coach at University of Illinois in Champaign yep. when I was in high school. And, yep. um, you know, it, obviously being from Cincinnati and having a relationship with a guy by the name of Sonny Cox, Coach Sonny Cox, who just passed away this year and was Martin Luther King High School legend, legendary coach. You know, mm-hmm. so that connection between Illinois and that always existed, um, and and people knew that he was going to take care of him. He's like a father figure. You know, you ask Myron Hughes, you know, he's he's like a father figure to to many, many, many young men that he helped grow into to manhood. Yeah, and 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 that backbone of the of the program as the program started to change. I mean, you really look at the state of Illinois was so important to UC basketball, so. You know, obviously you, you were such a big recruit um, in, in, in Rommel. And then you think he started to recruit Lou Banks, Lavertis mm-hmm. Robinson. Mm-hmm. Those became two of the backbones of Bob Huggins' program. Like Lou Banks deserves a lot more credit, I think, in the in the history of UC basketball than he gets. And he was recruited by Tony Yates. That's a Chicago, Chicago guy, right? Yeah, he was a Camden guy, but he was – 
he definitely was that type. Now, Lavertis definitely was from Martin Luther King yes. High School. I'm yes. oh, sorry, Lavertis. Yes, Lavertis started Martin Luther King High School and was an unbelievable athlete. Talk about a jump! <laughs> you know, he could take for all from the free throw line. You know, like yeah. like helicopter was there, and um, and so yeah. So I think you know the coach recognized that some of these guys didn't have the best you know home you know family. Um, support and, you know, were in need. And he, he kind of filled that gap. Uh, so he was willing to kind of go out on a limb for some of these guys that maybe didn't have, you know, the best academics and the best upbringing, but uh, he was willing to go out on a limb and, and kind of fill that gap for them. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I, and I misspoke when I said that. I meant to say that Lavertus Robinson from mm-hmm. Illinois and Lou mm-hmm. Banks, an important recruit, yeah, from, from Camden. The Tony Yates, right? He was from Camden, yeah. New Jersey. He was an important recruit um, that that later became the the really backbone of of Bob Huggins' team. Um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't a lot of the guys on Louisville's team that year from Camden? A lot yeah. of guys from New Jersey. So Is you that had right? Billy Thompson. You Billy know, Thompson, uh, NBA guy, Camden, right? NBA guy. You know, dunked two basketballs, number one high school player in the country coming out of high school. Um, McDonald's All-American, obviously, and you had uh, Walls. Um, I'm trying to Kevin Walls, I think, who maybe led the country in scoring at 43 points a game, coming out of Camden as a guard uh, that I think eventually uh, transferred from Louisville, but started there as a recruit to Louisville. Mm-hmm. Um, so you had that Camden connection that that actually Louisville had, but we were able to break in with Lou Banks and get him to switch over to, to come to Cincinnati. But, but but to your point, you're right, absolutely, 100%. It was that there was a pipeline of Illinois players, and Illinois has a lot of great, you know, especially in that Chicago market, talent that actually came into Cincinnati through Tony Yates' connection. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, one last thing before we jump into, um, you know, the things you have going on now. Um, do you still talk to a lot of the guys that you played with from that, particular season from that 90, 1986 year? You know, I, I, I don't. I, I, I should. And, you know, Ken Henry and, and um, you know, obviously I, the, the two people that I've stayed in touch with mostly have been Myron Hughes and, and obviously my best friend, Romel Shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, the other guys, you know, I rarely run into, but, you know, I love Joe Stiffen, you know, <laughs> Jumpin' <laughs> Joe, sure. who was from the East St. Louis, talk about that, you know, and most people think East St. Louis is in St. Louis, but it's actually in Illinois. Yep. Tough, a tough, tough area growing Real up. Real tough. And, um, you know, all of like 6'2", maybe 6'3", tops, Joe was, was battling, you know, 6'8", mm-hmm. guys all day long and yep. actually winning that. And if you see – he made a contribution, significant contribution in that game from his yep. defensive side, um, and uh, hit the. I think he hit the shot um, against Xavier that year, where mm-hmm. we ended up beating Xavier. And so, so you do have, um, you know, a long list of folks that I try to stay in touch with. But I'm again, like, I move from one, you know, chapter to the next, and it, I haven't done a great job of staying in touch with with my teammates. Well, I, I think it would be great if the university brought all you guys back and honored you at a game at, at halftime just because I think, I think we need to do a better job of, of, of honoring the guys and, and just not only guys, but teams mm-hmm. and, and bringing teams back and, and, and kind of celebrating them. And they didn't have to win a national championship, but we're a big part, you know, 
of, of Bearcat history. And I, I even presented this. I don't know what you think about this, but I, I presented this on Twitter and I, and I posted it on Facebook. I think the university should should look at creating a, you know, if it's a one-day, a two-day thing where every basketball player, so let's say this coming season, every basketball player on the team has to sit down in in a classroom and there's some sort of, you know, lecture series or whatever you want to call it, learning the history of UC basketball. Because I, I think – Guys value the jersey they put on more when they understand the history. Not that they don't value the jersey, but you think about me, Roger. I grew up here. I know, you know, I know about that 1986 team and everybody, uh, you know, from from that point on till today. So I, I got a little bit of a better understanding. So when I put that jersey on, I knew who wore it before me. Mm-hmm. I, I knew who wore it before me. Some of the guys don't. I think it would be excellent for them to learn about the history, learn about the former players. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think tradition is powerful. I do think legacy and understanding the significance of that, you know, going all the way back, you know. Um, And there's something about being authentic to how you want to relate the university back to your contributors. And I'm talking about all sports now because I'm sure – you know, we talked to, about volleyball, some of the other sports that maybe don't get as much attention. A lot of the, the, the alumni feel the same way. Like, can, they, can you honor me in some way? Can you recognize our contributions? And mm-hmm. so I think it's a human nature kind of thing. And, and then the universities that do it best have probably the best alumni support mm-hmm. um, o- overall, right? And sports yeah. is a part of that. And obviously business is a part of that. You can go on and on and on. But I think the universities that can do it the right way and, and make people feel that love and feel that, that value, whether you were the starter or you just were, you know, were supporting the, the team um, in other ways, I still think that respect is, is really important and vital that people feel a part and still feel, you know, respected um, as players, as former players and students there. Um, yep. And so, and, and it's not an easy answer and I'm not, you know, you know, pointing any fingers, but, you know, you, you've been on the campuses where you feel that energy, you can see, you can see it, you know, it takes a while to get it there. And I know uh, Terry Nelson has been involved, you know, yep. uh, and keeping that alive. And, um, you know, others, you know, have been there trying to figure out how do you make that happen? Because, you know, people do go their own ways, but um, when you are able to share that history and that value with players that put on that jersey and that recognize what that meaning is, I think they play harder. I think yeah. they play, they, you know, I think they do. I think they commit to Bearcat pride. You know, they, they commit yep. to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at the Chicago Bulls, you know, almost everybody knows that, that, you know, if a player gets drafted and puts on a Bulls uniform, they know. They're like, because mm-hmm. that's so celebrated. You know, they're like mm-hmm. Michael, Pip, Rodman, like these guys wore this jersey. I know what it means. And I think, if if UC could UC could be a leader in that and, and start that, you know the history of UC basketball. And I could pick up around the country and other programs could start doing it. But like you said, I just think guys will will put on that jersey and kind of understand what it means, what that Cincinnati across the chest means, just a, just a little bit more. And, and I want to use that to segue into this. Um, I often call you 
kind of the, the Magic Johnson of UC Hoops. And I don't think I ever told you that, but I, I call you that because of this. Um, obviously, I think you came in um, to UC as a great player. Um, I think you left out a fan and had a fantastic career, a fantastic player for the Bearcats. But the things that you've done after hoops, um, you know, your, your, your family, community, and business, I think the what the, the career you've had after basketball has really been a bigger Hall of Fame career. And I think Magic Johnson is like that. Like obviously, tremendous college and pro player, but I think the things that he's doing after hoops have been so much, so much more important in my eyes. So I, I call you the magic of UC hoops because of what you're, what you're doing after. Um, which, which leads me to say, you know, you, you, you're, you're in Louisville, you work with Yum Brand for years, raised an amazing family, very accomplished. Um, and, and now you're embarking on a new journey. And I find that very interesting. And I want you to share with, with Bearcat Nation what you're doing now. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And I always appreciate it coming from, from you because I think very highly of, of what you stand for, um, what you've accomplished, your ability to tell a story and, and living out your dream to, to get that Bearcat uniform on, you know, in your book that you, you know, books that you put out. Um, so, so it means a lot coming from you, Alex. But but I've been blessed, you know, I look at it in a frame of what I call F squared, C squared, and it's a nerdy thing. My wife always kind of teases me, but it goes back to my engineering days. So it's, it's faith, family, community, career. Uh, and I frame that in, as F squared, F squared, C squared is because how I prioritize my life. Mm. Um, and I got that from my mom and my dad and, you know, their, grand, their parents and my grandparents and, and how strong family is that you have those values that you, you, you know, you try to live up to and it guides you. It becomes your compass, your North star. Mm -hmm. And so given that, you know, basketball, I didn't say I was going to play basketball necessarily to make it to the NBA. Although that opportunity developed, it wasn't my main focus at the time. My main focus was to go there to Cincinnati and, and get an engineering degree and try to win a national championship. Uh -huh. um, and and bring back what we talk about the 61 and 62 uh, and the Oscar Robinson and, you know, even before that, Jack, Jack Kleiman, those days back to Cincinnati, you know, uh -huh. and, and that's what I was really focused on. And, you know, what we know now is you can't do anything alone. You need a team uh, and you need a vision that's greater than I. It's It's got to be about us and we. Um, and so I think taking that kind of, approach and working as hard as I can, you know, I couldn't, I love the game and I would play it regardless. And that's how I, I played. But um, when it's over and you know how the pain is when it's over, when you're not going to have that Jersey on anymore, when you're mm -hmm. finally walking away. And if you, if you don't have the next level to go to, it's traumatic. You yeah. know, it's a, it's a, it's a huge transition that, you know, really, um, eats up a lot of people uh, and, and really is a, is a mental challenge for a lot of people too because you, if you've given it all you had and that's all you, you know, you've done and if your self-worth is tied into that and your value of who you are is tied into that and all of a sudden ends, you, you've got a real big problem. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I felt a lot of that, but I knew I had the engineering side to finish and complete because it was a five-year mandatory cooperative program. So I, I had another year plus a little bit about like another year and a quarter to finish up. So uh, had some guaranteed offers overseas, but I, I said, you know, the long-term play here is to finish my engineering degree. And I put all those other things on the back burner. And then that parlayed into the next best thing is to go after my engineering career. And so I channeled, and this is what saved me, because it was really difficult to to know that you felt like you had the talent and you had the potential, but you didn't make it to that next level. How do you channel that into something positive uh, and not have bitterness or regret? And what I did was I channeled that into my engineering career and I mm. put it all out there and I, and I went a hundred, I went hard. Um, and I couldn't watch a basketball game for probably about two or three years, you know, <laughs> mm. <laughs> because of, of how difficult that was. And so I, so I kind of let all that go and focus. Uh, and then once I got into that, into that, um, environment, then I was thriving again because I was competitive, right? I was like, how can I compete in this? What do I need to know? How do I go after it? And I, I got lucky. I got some some good coaching, uh, got into manufacturing, uh, working at, at a big paper industry and what we call control systems at the time, which was um, AI and algorithms that you hear now. I was writing those things, you know, in software mm-hmm. packages, you know, and, and controlling processes across the whole plant of a of a, of a business. And so I love that. And then that parlayed into me getting a call from a guy that I worked internationally with because when I did my co-ops at Cincinnati, I actually went to Costa Rica and Ecuador for three months at a time in the middle of the jungle, literally, you know, figuring out how to put in, you know, systems and plants to, to, to harvest and, you know, pack and the box and, and ship those, those products out more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I finally got my degree, and got the opportunity for a job, I, I ended up landing a job in Cincinnati and working on what I call boiler control systems and AI algorithms to, to, to manage the plant. And that parlayed into the PepsiCo opportunity, in which moved me to Louisville and to Young Brands to take all that I learned in that first four or five years and apply it in a different way. Uh, and it was a marketing-driven company that allowed me to go beyond just as a, an engineer and I built, you know, and again, I didn't tell anybody who I was. I didn't tell them I played basketball. And then I wanted to start from zero and mm-hmm. work my way up based yep. on my merit. And, and I got those opportunities and and, and, it, and they paid off. Um, and before you know it, you know, I'm, I'm having a conversation with our CEO, David Novak, who, uh, by the way, knew Magic Johnson personally because he did the deal with him when he was at PepsiCo because PepsiCo was owned by um, – PepsiCo owned KFC and the brands at one point. Okay. Um, yeah, so so Magic would come up to to the, to the, to Louisville and you know had a chance to meet him and um, David was a good friend of of Magic's when they did their deals. Um, right. Yeah, so so that opportunity was you know David Novak as the CEO saw an opportunity to develop me and give me an opportunity to be a leader as I pushed out the sustainability strategy for the company. And said, "This is why we need to be doing this because we're, we, you know, we're not, and it's a gap in our business." And he saw that vision and believed in it, and made me the chief sustainability officer of the company. Mm-hmm. So I, I took that and rolled with it, and we became, you know, you know, kind of over a four or five year period, 
became recognized by the Dow Jones Sustainability Index, which is one of the highest honors you can get. We won many awards. We took our um, design of how we designed and built restaurants in a more sustainable way, reducing our energy usage and our water usage by over 30%, making them more efficient and, and minimizing the impact to the environment, uh, and actually taking our waste approach to figure out how we reuse our waste and not let it go into landfill that you know, turns uh, waste into methane gas, which has 21 times the global warming, the global warming potential as CO2. We, so we diverted a lot of our waste with new systems and contracts. <clears throat> and so once I um, retired from Yum about two years ago, you know, I had that long 20-plus year history of doing about 10 or 15 different jobs and, mm -hmm. and uh, was, just, was just the right time to kind of exit the business. And looked back and I said, wow, there's a legacy type of opportunity that I parlayed into this this unbelievable career going around the world from Shanghai, Beijing, Abu Dhabi, Jakarta, all over the world, um, making an impact in the business in a positive way from our P&L, but also in a social way, understanding how we minimize the impacts around sustainability in the environment. Mm -hmm. So that so, takes me up to today. Yeah which is what you're, you're saying, what is the Green Sports Alliance? And so I got a phone call, and they were looking for an executive director of this mm -hmm. nexus, which I call sports and sustainability. And for people out there wanting to understand exactly what that means is how do we leverage the power and the voice of sports to become better environmental stewards? And even beyond better environmental stewards, social, social stewards, you know, understanding how to make sure we have social and environmental justice for all. Uh, mm -hmm. Not just in the United States, but around the world. Um, and, you know, and, and so I've been embarking on that journey for the last year and a half as the executive director. Um, it, it started about 10 years ago, and, you know, it has the NFL, the NBA, uh, Major League Soccer, Major League Baseball. All of those are members, over 300-plus members, universities and colleges, um, as part of this membership group to understand what they can do in their operations and how they manage their supply chains to minimize their, their impacts to the environment uh, and also push on the social agenda like what we're seeing now between gender equity and racial equality. Mm -hmm. So the, one of the slogans is game on, correct? Yeah, yeah. So our so we were going to do with COVID kind of changed a lot of people's agendas this year. And so we typically have uh, an annual summit, which is a global summit where we have, you know, representatives from FIFA or the International Olympic Committee, you know, when the World Cup is here. And we, we parlay all of the topics, you know, that we want to talk about regarding these issues into a two-day summit. Uh, and so that summit was pushed off, but it was, you know, we're going to do it virtually coming up in October. But, you know, our title was The Future of Sports and Sustainability, Game On. Uh -huh. Um, like, like, let's do something. You know, if you think about the United Nations at the highest level of giving guidance of what's going on, listen to the climate scientists, we do have a significant issue with climate and the change of climate and how that impacts, you know, the landscape of, of you know, where we live. And so in the lower lying regions, um, you know, as sea level rise and it has, you know, been proven that it is rising, those indigenous people and the people that live in these areas will be impacted in a very mm -hmm. negative way. Um, the severity of storms, the frequency of storms, the temperatures rising as far as, you know, how hot it's been on record. We've set records in the last yeah. 
10 years, I mean, that's not by accident. It's, it, and so it's man-made and the, the climate science is, is obvious. And so what can we do to kind of offset that? How do we reverse that or what can we do to minimize it? You know, to, and, and those are where those big goals from the United Nations 2030, 1.5 degrees C reduction, uh, all those things are impacted on our behaviors, you know, how we run our businesses, how we live our lives every day. You know, um, what choices do we make? Um, I'll tell you, I, I rode in a minivan for many, many years, and it was kind of a, um, it was just a functional vehicle that I had. And until I got the last one out, I said, well, why do you keep driving that minivan? You know, I said, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's, it's uh, well, it's a chick magnet when you have little kids anyway. They, <laughs> they all come up. <laughs> it's called the swagger wagon, you know. But, but, <laughs> I need one but, of those. Yeah, beyond, <laughs> but beyond that, it's very functional. But I just got gave it up maybe a few years ago, and I, I decided to invest in a Tesla. Uh, mm. And I can tell you, you don't have to give up uh, speed, luxury, style, uh, performance, uh, to get, you know, sustainability or efficiency where you're not using, you know, fossil fuels, so to speak. Uh, and um, so I think that's where the opportunity is, is with innovation. So you can, you can leverage innovation and figure out how we do things differently and make this place a much better place for the future generation. So playing for the next generation is kind of our tagline, but it's more than a tagline because we're trying to do things that are really set up to support um, the future generation. Yeah. Now, now, what what attracted you to to be a part of this? Like, what was the big selling point? Well, I've always loved sports, and my you know, kids have been engaged in sports. And for me, it was uh, an opportunity to um, not only be athletically and physically fit, but it, it was a competition that I also loved. Uh, and it was in anything, whether it be cards or playing basketball or baseball, and that was my first love. And mm-hmm. so when I could, somebody called me and said, hey, come take a look at the Green Sports Alliance. And I was like, this is something I would do even if I didn't get paid to do it. Mm. This is something that I believe in and it's a passion of mine. And so that nexus between sports and, you know, we talked about Aspire Basketball Academy and what I've been doing there. But, and also that's at a micro level, which is at the grassroots local level. And then Mm. you can do something like the Green Sports Alliance, which is global and it's global in nature and global in impact, leveraging the power of sports. And so if you think about, um, I mentioned Roberto Clemente and his, you know, consciousness of being able to give back. If you think about Muhammad Ali and what he did with his voice beyond just being the boxing, you know, ring. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you kind of start to look at LeBron now and, and mm. him kind of stepping into leadership, um, and the only criticism we can give of Jordan, and I know he's doing it now, is, you know, you have that platform, which Nike just came out with saying we're going to donate $100 million to, yep. you know, the movement of Black Lives Matter and what that means in this country today. Um, that's powerful, right? So yep. sports has the power to change from Nelson Mandela, leveraging it to, like I said, some of these other leaders. Uh, and I think that's, that's where I want to be. I want to leverage that to make a difference, a positive difference in the world. And and just to think that um, you've been involved in this. How long have you been involved now? It's over a year and a half. Yeah, it's over a year and a half. Like, uh, yeah, so January of of the year last year. So, yeah. And and to think that you got involved in in this and then now where we are today, like how important even today. I mean, it was important back then, but I think 
a lot of people's eyes are really wide open right now. Between, yeah. you know, with the with George Floyd's murder, the pandemic, but just like everything, people's eyes are wide open. So I think what what it attracted me to what you're doing when like, you sent me the link to what I looked on the website. I'm like, this is, this is important work right now. Mm-hmm. It, it makes sense. It, it's amazing, Alex, and I think you have the gift of being able to look at the data and be objective. And, and you can go in any room, you know, and talk to the board of directors, you know, or, you know, walk down, you know, the city in the city and have a conversation with the person, common everyday person. And so I think sure. that, yeah, that, that's a, that's a great trait. And what you do with that and your ability to communicate, to bring people together, that's what we need to do. And so I think what's happened is, you know, people say, well, Black Lives Matter, and they say, well, all lives matter. Of course all lives matter. We're not say- mm-hmm. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is <laughs> when you're, sitting, you're putting a knee at 846 on someone's neck because of their color, that's what we're talking about. Like how mm-hmm. do you get the accountability? You know, you can't have immunity to this kind of stuff. That's something wrong with the law. Right. You know, it needs to be changed. And, you know, the history of this country, and we understand it, you know, as African Americans, um, is that, things are not equal and fair. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, I have all my students, when we talk about Aspire Basketball Academy and bringing the students, post-grad and undergraduate, you know, the high school students in, is we watch the, the documentary 13th. And if mm-hmm. you haven't seen it or if people haven't seen it out there, I highly recommend it because it'll give you a historical perspective of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why when we say Black Lives Matter, really trying to focus on what the institutional racism has meant to African-Americans and black people. And the people that benefit from these movements that we've had from the Voting Rights Act and, you know, equal pay has not just been the African-American people. It's been everybody, especially Mm -hmm. the, 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 the class of, you know, from white females to get equal pay. And then we're still not there. Uh, to the the movement of gender and gender equality to um, whatever your sexual preference and all those kind of wave of people having their own ind- individual identity and those things have been spurned you know a lot by what we've done as a as a culture as far as African Americans and so I think that's really important for people to understand. And what do you think, in, in your opinion? And there are going to be people that listen to this podcast. I know that have different opinions, um, whether it's politically or what's going on right now. And there will be some people that listen to this podcast that um, will disagree with saying Black Lives Matter. Um, why Why do you think for, for those that can't say Black Lives Matter, what, what, why do you think they can't do that? For example, um, I think uh, – uh, uh, Vice President Pence was was asked about that, and he would not say it, and he would yeah. say all lives matter. And I, I found that problematic where mm-hmm. we are right now from his leadership standpoint. Why do you think it's 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 difficult for him and others who have a different opinion to, to say that? And what can we do to get everybody on the same page? Yeah, I think it's akin to shut up and dribble in a way is mm-hmm. that – some people just are are not going to be on your side. Um, mm-hmm. They just have a fundamental difference and believe the the, the status quo and the system as it is is okay, um, and they're 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 just not going to be 
um, supportive of it. And so, but the way you have a conversation is, you know, how do you reconcile a George Floyd? Um, And knowing that it's not just one person or is you got good cop, bad cop, it's a system and that's how they were trained. Uh, So there's, Uh there's a flaw. And when you can racial profile uh, and get away with it. And so do you have a problem? And so that's where, you know, remember in this, in this country, we had to fight to get, you know, have a revolution to get free of Britain. Uh I mean, it was Uh like, okay, we want, we want equal representation too. Uh, You know, so, so everything is a struggle. And so Uh you're not going to have everybody agree with you, but if you bring it back to the law, and justice and, 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 you know, MLK would be, you know, he would say justice delayed is justice denied. Right. For sure. And in the wait and wait, okay, we're going, no, we're not, we're not waiting. We, we need to address this and we need to address it all the way at the highest level. Mm-hmm. And the highest level is when it, where it's embedded into institutions based on their practices and behaviors. And so until you would change those or make it accountable that if you murder someone, there's no, uh, uh, you know, you, you're not, you can't get off, you know, with a life <laughs> sentence. <laughs> you know, you, right. don't, you, don't, you I mean, don't have immunity to come into my home and not knock and shoot me dead and I didn't do anything because you got the right. wrong house. You know, there has to be accountability and it, it has to go beyond just an individual because it is a system and how are we going to deal with that. So that's, that's the argument is they need to recognize it, but not everybody will. And I feel like after after George Floyd was murdered, it, it and I've said this before, it, it, it felt different. We've seen it before. We've seen it on video before. Um, but this one really felt different. I, I feel like of all times recently, especially in my generation, I feel like there are more people supporting the cause now and can be a part of helping make change. And I've just not seen it before. And here's what I mean by that. The fact that you go to these different cities across the country and you're seeing Black Lives Matter like painted on streets leading to City Hall, leading to the Capitol building, whatever it is. I, I never thought I would see that. Um, and, and, to, and, you know, obviously the NBA um, is is very progressive and and they're talking about putting Black Lives Matter on the court. Um, guys' jerseys are going to have social um, injustice things, and mm-hmm. um, I, I just feel like it just feels different from a good standpoint, Roger. That mm-hmm. they're, they're we're headed in a better direction. Do you feel that way? I do feel like, um, especially my daughters and sons, you know that that generation have the power of social media. So this is like a perfect storm. So you had COVID uh, pandemic, and I, I would, you know, even though it technically is not a disease that's spread around the world, but racism is a pandemic and has been for over 400 years. Um, and then the, the next pandemic, I would call them the three pandemics, is, is this whole idea of climate and what's happening. And at the center of all of that, if you do the data, the people that get impacted the most and have the fewer fewest resources are people of color, and, and it's you know you can boil it down to even a class system where you know people that don't have the re- revenues and resources are the ones that are impacted. And and so when you look at this generation, the power of social media with that pent up you know COVID 
thing going on right now, this ignited that, right? And they have the power to be able to voice their opinions through this medium. And it's in crazy. They can call people out. They can see what yeah. you're doing. You know, they, yep. they can, they can, they can organize. And I think bringing it up to the level of what you said, where corporations have an accountability and a responsibility to have ethics, which, you know, you can separate capitalism and profitability from ethics. You know, that's when we had Lake Erie on fire where you could just dump anywhere. Right. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. You know, I don't live over there. So let's just dump this, this toxic waste over in that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about what happened with Flint and the quality of drinking water and, yeah. well, you know, so, so we, this environmental injustice and social injustice is not new to your point, but what is new is, this generation and their their closeness to one another to want to have connection and understanding and seeing that in America where we say every lives matter, which it should, but yet we practice that black lives don't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and so there's where the irony is, and we can't even have a vice president or an administration acknowledge that. So what does that mean for us as a country? You know, right. so, so I think we have to take on that leadership when there is none and do what's right. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, time will tell and, you know, the, the, the history books will write, you know, who was, you know, on the side of justice, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I do feel that way. I feel like we're, in, in my opinion, 10 years from now, I think we'll look back in history and there will be a group of people that are on the wrong side mm-hmm. of history. And I don't think they fully understand that. And 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 I listen. I think, uh, and I've I've gone back and forth with some different people that that I know pretty well. That, in some ways, I think they just don't fully understand. Um, like a Drew Brees. Drew Brees, you know, made a comment and he got highly criticized. And you know, there were some people that just said, "Man, he 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 should know. He should be better educated on on this." And you know, apparently, he called Shannon Sharp. He called a couple other people and said. Listen, explain to me what, what what did I do wrong? What and and he reached out to learn more, and I think we're at a stage where that needs to happen, where folks like Drew Brees and others need to reach out and and learn and, and understand the message more instead of, you know, it feels like from a, from a black perspective, the the trying to educate it's just it's tiresome now. It's mm-hmm. like we've been showing you this. We've you showed you the videos. We pro now it's time for you to walk across the street and say, educate me a little more. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And and Shannon, I've watched him. You know, I saw a clip on him. You know, kind of express his feelings. And um and then and I I met Drew. Drew gave my 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 sister an autograph when we were at uh, um we were at Disney for a national championship volleyball tournament. And Drew just you know, nicest guy in the world signed that. But yeah. I think people people get confused with patriotism uh, with democracy, you know. Yeah. And yeah. and so to be a patriot doesn't mean you can justify the death of George Floyd in any kind of way uh, right. and that the police are right. It, 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 to to say you can take a knee and voice what, you, what you're protesting is the right of what we fought for in this country. Is, you know, if the KKK can walk down the street and, and, and be protected by the police because they have a difference of an opinion, but yet you can't take a knee as a as a professional, whether you're an athlete or not, 
to kind of make a point, that's what you have to live with in a democracy. You know, that's the sacrifice you make. But the the fact that we are taking the need to talk about injustice should be the right, you know, the right support mechanism. It should be because we we can peacefully protest. I mean, that's what we can do. And so not to support that and try to say, you're not patriotic is, is ludicrous because you're not getting to the heart of what the conversation is. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think for those folks that are deniers, just like they are climate deniers, look at the data. <laughs> Don't let the data speak. You know, let's mm-hmm. look at what happens when you have to, um, you know, get into the justice. Uh, um, you know, I, I would think and look at those cases and what happens in those cases and what happens to those sentences and go all the way back. And that's why a documentary like 13th helps people open their eyes to the situation. This is embedded into the country. We were three-fifths of a vote. You know, we were enslaved. And you can't catch up on 200 years to 400 years of, of, of that kind of exploitation and figure that everybody's equal and starting from the same, you know, starting points. Mm-hmm. And and back to what you're doing, and and sports becomes, I think, such an important thing right now to help heal a lot of this and to help bring better understanding. What what better than sports? Because that's people love sports. Yeah, I think that you know, and and here's where it is. You know, is everybody comes together because they have that unifying kind of you know jersey on with the colors on, and so they can root, root for their team. It doesn't matter you know, what you look like, where your background from, you know, your social status or your economic status, you know, you're out to win. And I think John Wooden and those folks that were way ahead, you know, Coach John B. McClendon, those folks that were early on understanding the dynamic between sports and their ability to talk about a social change um, were forerunners, you know, in that leadership. You know, John Wooden, you read his story, he forewent the tournament. It wasn't the NCAA necessarily tournament, it was the big tournament that because he had a black player, African-American player on the team, and they weren't going to let him stay in the same um, lodging, he just said, uh-huh. no, I'm not coming to the tournament. And he had a good yep. team. I think this is when he was with Purdue, I believe. Uh, and it happened the next year, and they, did, they didn't let him in the tournament. And then they finally gave in to his request to treat his players the same. And so he was a pioneer. He didn't have to do that. You know, he was a you know, white coach in Indiana. He had, you know – Mm-hmm. Um, but but he had the fortitude, and you know when you think about his dynamic of leadership, you know nobody nobody better than John Wooden in those in that space. Which is crazy to think that anybody at any point in history would treat another human being that way, like not let them stay in lodging with or you know in hotels or whatever with their team. Like I, it, it's bizarre to me. Yeah, it's um, it's unbelievable that we're talking about this in this time and age with the advent of technology. Everything you think we can have, the world's richest country, you know, by far, um, mm-hmm. as far as, you know, culture and what the contributions of, and I'm just not going to say African-Americans, I would just say of foreign people coming to these lands, because think about who was here before we even got here, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so sure. we're, all ben- we're all benefiting from it. So we're is the opportunity to share. And that's where, you know, holding up the Confederate flag means that you are supporting an organization in the sense of the history of trying to rip the country apart, wanting to be a separate nation. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's to me that's like treason. That you know, and the, so why would you celebrate um, those uh, symbols? for what they mean. Now, if you want to put them in a museum, fine, talk about the history. But if you really right. want to honor them that way and say these were, were great leaders and this is what they believed in in the public space, I, I just, I don't, I, I wouldn't agree with that. Now, that could be a, an argument. But I, I say let's elevate it to a higher status. Let's change the laws. You know, let's take away this immunity yeah. that police officers have. Let's make sure people have equal representation when, they, when they're faced with, you know, charges. Let's let's really go into the legal system and the employee and hiring practices and promotion practices across corporate America and make sure that they're 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 equal and fair. Uh and the representation of how do you get to that glass ceiling, you know, how do you get there that, you know, you have the equal opportunity to do that as a female and as a as a minority, as an African American. Yeah. No. Excellent. And this is I'm so glad you you've got a you get an opportunity to talk about not only the Green Sports Alliance but but some of these issues which I know are dear to your heart and very important. Um, and I do want to take it back. Um, and, and this was brought up on Twitter um, to change gears just a little bit. Um, back to that game versus Louisville. Um, there were some people on Twitter that said UC needs to bring back those uniforms from that year. <laughs> How cool would that be? I mean, short shorts and all, right? Yeah, short shorts. Well, you know, you know, you, you're the stylist, you know, you, you, every time I see you, man, you, you got the style. Like I saw you on the golf course and I was like, man, you, you oh. got to win the tournament by the way you dress. You know, you're going to be holding that trophy up. Uh, well, I had them all so, pulled, didn't I? <laughs> Everybody pulled. So, so I do have, I think I do have those shorts somewhere down in the basement that I could bring you back really? if you need them. Yeah, I think I do have them. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, I, I think that would be great. I mean, I love that old Bearcat, you know, the old one before they had the new one. I mean, yeah. you know, so, so there is some nostalgia. Yeah. There is some nostalgia there. But, uh, yeah, I was showing off a lot of leg back in those days. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You know, I think I think in today's generation where a lot of things that were popular in the 80s and 90s, you know, it always comes back around. I, I think it would be really cool if UC did that, brought those jerseys back, brought some other ones from back in the day. Um, I, I think that would be really cool to just to keep as part of honoring, you know, the history and the great tradition of UC basketball. Now, what shoes were you wearing back then? You know, I'm a big shoe guy, so. Yeah, yeah. So I'll give you the story. So my freshman year, we came in, I believe Puma was our, was you know, you remember the day, you know, coaches could do a deal and it was maybe separate mm-hmm. than, the, than, the, than the school could do the deal, you know. And so that was the three days where the coaches actually had an opportunity to make more revenue and decide. Um, so we, we ended up with Puma shoe. And it wasn't until I think, and, and I I wasn't a fan of the Puma shoe, so I had to wear a different shoe. But I put a piece of tape over my logo, so we really <laughs> so, yeah. Wait, wait, that I was my not know you, didn't, you didn't notice that. I didn't bring that up, but I did. I did, and so wait, wait, I wait, wait, wait. Had you, your freshman year, you put yeah. tape over the Puma yeah. logo. Yeah, I did for a little while. I put no, I took I took the Pumas off and and had a different shoe on and put put that oh, shoe. 
Yeah, because, nobody knew. Yeah, so, you know, it was like, well, plus I wasn't getting paid for the shoe at the time, but players can probably get paid now for wearing the shoe. But, no, on a, on a serious note, I, I just, it wasn't, it, that shoe was not comfortable to me. Yeah. It, it was a higher order of it, you know, because I was very socially, you know, aware of what was going on um, around, you know, O'Bannon now and now what the players' yeah. rights are. So, and even starting back with Oscar on, you know, who had rights once he, you know, graduated to getting to free agency. So it all went through Oscar to kind of get to that, to that point where athletes could challenge, you know, and have contracts not by, based on where they played in regions, um, but across the whole spectrum of, of the teams, which Oscar helped push, push that initiative. And so it gave the players, you know, opportunities to get bigger salaries and compete on a fair to fair basis on what they were valued worth. Mm-hmm. You know? So, so I knew, I knew that going in cause I was fortunate to have parents to kind of educate me. Yep. And so I, I did have it in my mind, like, Hey, I'm, you know, I, I'm just going to put a piece of tape on here cause this is the shoe I want to wear. And, you know, we went around and around and finally they came out with a new version, which was much more comfortable it wasn't a rock hard shoe. It had some, you know, some shock absorbency, and I ended up wearing that that Puma shoe because it was a nice shoe. There you go. That's a that's a good story, man. You know, I'm a big shoe guy, so yeah, I know you are, man. I, I was back in the day. I had a, it, it was a Nike shoe that I was trying to wear, but you know. There you go. <laughs> I love it. Ahead of your time, I like it. Um, you know, and and I, I hope, um, and I I really love Coach Brandon. I love what he's doing. Um, I love his his ideas. I don't think he's had a chance to really fully articulate these, but I, I know he wants to engage the former players more and more. Um, as you know, he's starting to really build his program, and I, I think getting you know even your generation of guys back. I know you come back. You try to come back to a game you know, once a year um, and, and check things out, but to get guys like you – Myron Hughes, uh, Joe Stiffen, Brian Helm, Cedric Glover, mm-hmm. Mel, uh, Donnie Rule still in town. Yep, Donnie. You know, um, the Jeff Flynn's like all those guys getting that generation of, of folks back, and um, I hope and I know you will continue to come back and, and support the Bearcat program. Absolutely. There's another guy that was a walk-on by the name of Billy Sutherland, who's you know giving back to the university uh, and definitely you know bringing all those guys back and kind of just making them feel special. And I know Coach Brennan is that kind of person that mm-hmm. would open, you know, have open arms for those guys. Uh, and I'm just, you know, I'm excited about what he can bring to it and putting his own personal brand um, to to building a legacy back to where we had national championships. And I know that's where he wants to go. And they had an yeah. incredible season last year. You know, unfortunately, it was cut short. But I mm-hmm. thought he did a great job of, of getting the best out of his team and, and building that momentum, getting back to to the tournament. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, no, I, hey, listen, I, I appreciate it. I, I definitely want to do this part two. I wanted to not only talk about that Louisville game, but talk about what you're doing now, which I think is very, very important. And there are going to be some people, like I said, that are going to listen to this that might have a different opinion um, in regards to, you know, politics or racial injustice and, I think it's good for them to just at least listen and hear the perspective of others. And, you know, maybe we can meet somewhere in the middle. And I think that's where we need to head. So I love giving that platform an opportunity for people to um, talk about those things like yourself. And once again, Rods, you know, you're, you're always uh, 
you know, always be, you know, my favorite Bearcat of all time. My first, and I, I've said this before, I've said this on other podcasts that, you know, your crew that you played with was my first introduction to UC basketball. You were my first player, you know, that I really copied and, and, and imitated um, my game after. So, you know, you always be my goat. I appreciate, <laughs> I appreciate it, but I appreciate it. But, I, but I, I'm going to tell the truth. I know Romel was your guy so I'm a, well, because he was only five because he was the same height as you when you were a camper. When you was a camper, you was looking at him eye to eye when you were a camper at, at, at Tony Yates Bearcat Camp. <laughs> so very, so very true. And you know I, that you, you're, you're right. And let me let me say this. Um, I remember going to Tony Yates basketball camp, and and that day one, I, I thought, you know, Romel was another camper. When you see him just kind of running around, you think he's another camper, <laughs> but he was actually a coach, and he was my my coach for 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 that particular uh, team that I was on at camp, and. We all just kind of all the players fell in love with Romel. I mean, he could handle the basketball. He's doing mm-hmm. all these tricks. You know, we could look at him eye to eye. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, Rod, when we when, when we watched the games, man, it was you. It I appreciate you. you. Yeah, no, no I appreciate question. You. I, I appreciate you, Alex, and yep. your family. You know, your brother. You know, your mom and dad. I mean, they're right. model role models. You know, and so you continue that tradition as a role model. Uh, and you know you're it's bigger than the game, right? And so yeah. I think you're you're doing you're doing it, man. I appreciate you giving me a, a voice and being able to share you know my perspective and um, you know pushing this agenda to to get to equal rights and justice and democracy and you know just having some fun, enjoying life as we all have the opportunity at the end of the day. And I think that's where we all want to be. So appreciate the no opportunity. Question. Definitely. Well said, man. I appreciate it. And uh, let's catch up. And when things kind of settle down, man, you know, we got to get to the uh, Cardinal Cafe. That's our meeting spot, isn't it? Yeah, I love love to catch up. When you come with your, you know, the shining stars and, you know, what you stand for and your whole program. I mean, it's great. We can't wait to get back to those days where we're back in the gym. And, you know, anytime you're you're in Louisville, just just let me know. And, you know, obviously we'll connect. And then I'll shoot you the contact for, 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 for Romeo Shorter, too. I'll make sure you get that. Yeah, text that to me for sure, and I'm going to definitely get him on here very soon, man. So, hey, listen, I appreciate it. I'll tell my parents you said hello, um, you know, and pass pass everything on to your family that I said hello to as well. I appreciate we'll, it. Will do, Alex. Thanks, man. Have a good All right, Roger. We'll Enjoy. catch up. Take Stay care. Safe. Oh, bye-bye. Bye-bye. I want to thank everybody for listening to our special episode, our interview series of The Bearcat Basketball Podcast. And once again, you can follow me on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham, Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. Also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. On Snapchat at BigMeach41 and soon to be on TikTok. I appreciate everybody listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bearcats.